Welcome to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. On today's episode, join Katie and Russell as they talk about long books. Whether these are books that are over 600 pages or a series that are over 12 volumes, these are the sort of books you'll need to carve out some time to fully enjoy. Stay tuned. Everybody, welcome to today's episode of Stacks and Stories. I am Katie. I'm usually one of your editors behind the scenes, and I'm here today with Russell. Say hey, Russell. Introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. And we are going to be talking about long books. These are books that are the size of multiple bricks. These are books that are part of a series that is in like 16, 18 volumes. This is a very loosey-goosey title and a loosey-goosey concept. And so, obviously, the first question I'm going to ask is, Hey, Russell, how would you define a long book? (laughs) Well, uh, there are several books that I have read that are exceptionally long, single books, like The Stand or um, The Historian by... Kosako? I don't know. I can't pronounce that last name. I've been meaning to read that one. It's Elizabeth Kosako. Kova, I haven't maybe? gotten around to reading it yet, but um, that's on my to read Yeah, it, it's, it's an amazing book, uh, but it is exceptionally long. Um, uh, over, I think it's like 1,200 pages. and um, But then I also think of like a, a book series, if it's written as a continuous story, you could say that is like one very large book. Um and like the Dresden Files is an example of that. And um, I was also thinking as we were getting started, I was thinking about, um, okay, I'm going to have to give an example because I can't really explain this. Um, All right. Simon R. Green wrote four book series. They're different. One of them is called The Night Side. It focuses on one character and his exploits in this alternate reality. He also wrote, wrote the Ghostfinder series, it follows a group of characters and their exploits as they are looking for and fighting ghosts. But they're in the same universe and they cross over and you'll see the characters from the Nightside series in the Ghostfinder series and the and vice versa. So would that be considered one really long series? Yeah. Or would you consider that as multiple series that just happen to have some of the same characters jumping in and out and if that's the case then he's he's got to be one of those that has like because he's written thousands and thousands of books it seems like um i've only read four of his series but for example the nightside series has 13 i believe uh books in it and the ghost finder series had six and then there was the forgotten history or the hidden history i think was the name of that other series and it's got like 12 so that's like 30 books <laughs> yeah i know that there's a middle grade author uh rick riordan who did the percy jackson books where he does kind of the same thing where he'll have multiple series where each of them is like here are five books about percy jackson here are five books about jason grace oh but we're gonna have some of the percy jackson characters show up in the jason grace books here are five books about magnus chase oh but one of the jason grace characters and one of the percy jackson characters are going to show up in the magnus chase books so if you get started 
on like one of the series that's later on down the line at some point if you are an overinvested 12 year old who's the target audience for those books you're going to be flipping back to like wikipedia to be like <laughs> okay who's this person who like we know already oh they showed up in this book series where they are now stand- i have to go back and read right, that I'm series have to go check out percy jackson number one from the library yep. <laughs> where they are technically standalone series but in practice not that's, entirely. <laughs> that's how I started the Percy Jackson series, and uh, that was in uh, the early 2000s when I started mm-hmm. reading it. So I was not an overinvested 12 year old. I was <laughs> I mean, an overinvested 30 year old. But, you know, um, but I, I was uh, trying to find something to read to just get me away from um, Harry Potter and Twilight, where the two series that I, I had just finished, and I, I wanted something just light and not really that I had to emotionally invest in. And And also that wasn't like seven hundred pages like Deathly Hallows, exactly. like Order of the Phoenix, exactly. speaking of long books. And I, I was at the uh the library in Meridian and um I asked the circulation desk, I was like, can just give me something light. And I told her kind of what I liked and she said, you know, how to check out the Percy Jackson series. And Instantly fell in love with it, and after, I think it was after the third book, I was emotionally invested, and I had to read the rest of it. And then uh, I finished that and found out that he had written the other two series, and I was like, all right, well, I've got to read those, because same person. So, yeah, but those are really, really good books. Well, one of my, I'm going to, normally, we should all be proud of me, because normally whenever I'm on these podcasts, all I talk about are big old nonfiction bummers, because <laughs> that's one of my favorite genres of book to read, but I only wrote down the title of one bummer that is a big old chonker book, but I'm going to take the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite books of all time, which is a fantasy book. It's super long. It's the size of a brick. It's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. It is very big and very wonderful. And it's kind of, it's Regency England. So it's like Pride and Prejudice times, but there's magic and there's fairies. And it's written in a sort of dry, like sort of like it's parodying Jane Austen. or It's doing like a pastiche of that sort of (laughs) type of writing. So you would have statements like, Oh, and Mr. Norrell felt particularly displeased today when looking upon blah, 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 blah. But then, like, there's fairy shenanigans happening in the background. And it is huge and massive. So what do you think the appeal... I mean, why are we not just like look at at the size of that book and just like, there is no way I'm reading that. I I like... I I view it as a challenge. I like to set myself reading challenges, like to make myself like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get through this. And a couple of years ago, I set myself the reading challenge that I would read the full unabridged version of Moby Dick by Herman Melville. And I did that. And I love that book. And I will, I have a whole bunch of stupid book opinions that I will fight people on. And one of them is Moby Dick is good. Y'all are just wrong. Y'all are just scared because it's too, it's really big. But I know, at least for me, I've been on the record saying that I'm not like a super big series fan because some of them don't really have an ending point. And after you get to like book 12, if you can hit the point of diminishing returns. But at least for me, super long books have 
they capture what I like about series where you can go into depth and go into detail and go into these characters like inner lives and thoughts and feelings, but they have a final point. They have an ending point. Like with Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, you don't meet Jonathan Strange until like halfway through the book. But with the first half, you've got like this in-depth look at how this character, how Mr. Norrell feels, what he's thinking about, how he's reacting to the world around him and changing the world around him. And it's that sort of, you couldn't have that sort of deep dive, deep look into the character if the book was only 200 pages long. It's because that book is like 700 pages long that it can take its time to give you a good holistic view of like even just how secondary characters react to the the magical world around them. One of my favorite characters in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is a black servant named Stephen. And so it's 1800s England. He's surrounded by all these white guys. He's able to take a new read and take a unique look at the situations that all of our other characters who are mostly white guys of upper status would not be able to take a look at and take a read at. And it's because the book is like 700 pages long that you can devote some time to what Stephen's view of the situation is. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're right. I think that I know a lot of series fall into that trap of what happens next. Right. How am I going to keep this going? They had you know a, an arcing plot over six books, and then that plot is resolved at the end of book six. How do you introduce something new and, and keep that series going, mm-hmm. or do you just let it end and be just one really just one long book broken up into volumes right the books that i had considered when uh when we were going to do this podcast was the uh the stand by stephen king which i have a first edition of in uh in the original hardback it's not signed but uh (laughs) it is it is it was given to me by uh one of my uncles and at the time i was i think i was like seven or eight when he gave it to me so <laughs> I mean, it was seven like, year old the stand. <laughs> exactly that's that's what I loved about him is is he was he was an amazing person and he he didn't think about uh me as a child I was just his buddy and he liked that book and we talked about it and he gave it to me and it sat on my shelf for about eight years because it was just because he gave a seven-year-old the stand. the stand and I was looking at it on the shelf and thinking there is no way that I will ever be able to read all of that and eventually I did and um, it, it is Stephen King it's a wonderful book but just speaking about the the size and what you were saying is that because he wasn't concerned about having to squeeze into 300 pages he was able to go into depth of all the different characters so when that final battle happens and when a specific character dies you have more of a uh, emotional understanding of how devastating that is to the people around because all of the time that was spent building that character up and letting you see into their life and see how they lived and they were not really a bad guy they just circumstances and so when that character dies, it's it's more of a punch because you spend all this time building it up. I, I really appreciate that 
it's not something that I can constantly like every book I read if it was all like that then it, it wouldn't be as enjoyable right. but every now and then that is a nice little extra thing to have is uh, to sit down and try to read one of those really large books and even break it up into like a, like a series like I was saying about the Dresden Files is that he'll do arcing plots over like two or three books and then that plot will be resolved right. and then it'll move on um Another author that I uh, can't really say that I enjoyed, <laughs> but uh, Terry Goodkind wrote, and I can't remember the name of the series now. Um, the, was he like Sword of Truth or something like that? Yes, it, it was something like that. We and were talking earlier about how all these fantasy series kind they of all have sound the same, the same. Name. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that book series had, the first like six books had an arcing plot, and I... I Absolutely loved those six books. And then he, the seventh book introduced the new big bad. And for me, it was a little over the top and I had to stop reading because it, it was a little too much. Um, he gets a little graphic. But the, those first, that first plot was like real, one really large book. And then the same characters take on a new challenge as a second really large book. That's the way in my head that it works anyway. Right. Um, but I, I really enjoyed those books. The Sword of Truth and the Law of Nines. As Charlie looks at the Wikipedia page, we scroll down to <laughs> hey, see more about this guy. Technology. <laughs> yeah. This is this is why you have someone in the room with you, all partly to watch the levels and make sure that we all sound good, and partly because whenever we go, what's that book's name? What's that book's name? <laughs> then he can pull it up. Yeah. But yeah, thinking about the idea of like overarching plots and like this plot takes up like three books. This plot takes up like four books, blah, 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 blah. Manga does that a lot. Yes. And I read a lot of manga and because it's, it's like eating a bag of Oreos, man. I can just plow through that. I feel really good afterwards. But <laughs> so am I just totally Southern by calling it manga? I mean, I'm, I was one of those people who, if my high school had an anime club, I would have been in the high school anime club. So, <laughs> But growing up, I was really into Sailor Moon by Noko Takeuchi, which that's about, depending on how, because it's been reprinted like five times, it could be anywhere from like 10 to like 16 volumes because sometimes it's like, oh, we're going to shove two volumes together. Yeah. Oh, we're going to include the bonus chapters in this one, blah, 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 blah. But it's another one where you'll have like an overarching plot that'll take up like 20 chapters. And then we put, and then we start a new overarching plot that takes up 20 new chapters. <laughs> and I will, at least with Sailor Moon, it all, it moved towards an ending and did have a definite ending, not a, uh, whoopsie-doo, we've been canceled, or whoopsie-doo, <laughs> the author died sort of ending that some of these longer series have. But I can definitely see, like, you have to be invested because after a certain amount of time, I just stop caring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely, there definitely has to be a sense of, I've got to read this. Right. Even if I'm not looking forward to it, uh, I've, I've got to read it just because it's a continuation of the story. Right. I've got to know what happens. <laughs> but yeah, the um, that's that's the way I am. I've gotten about the Dresden Files because the author took off for like seven or eight years 
and I, I was not a nerd enough to uh, go in and look up why, <laughs> but um, I, I, I gave him his privacy. <laughs> but um, but he took off like eight, eight or nine years in between two of the books, and where he as before it was every year he was coming right. out with a book every year, and then all of a sudden nothing, and then I he announced that he was going to release the next book, and by that time I I've read a thousand books since then, right? And as soon as he announced it, I said I've got to read that book because I I, I need to know what happens. And uh, I went back and had to reread like the last five or six books just to kind of refamiliarize myself with the the universe. Mm-hmm. And um, and by the time it did come out, I was looking forward to it at that point because right. I, I refamiliarized myself with it. But it is it's one of those stories that at any point he could end it. He could wrap it all up in right. one book and answer all of the remaining questions. We're and, not going into a George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones situation exactly. where exactly. you would need at least two <laughs> books and the writer's notes in order to properly end it. <laughs> exactly. And like the Simon R. Green books, his were more like the old 80 sitcom shows where at the end of the book, everything was pretty much the same as it was at the beginning. Um, you had uh, no none of the main characters ever really died, um, and if they did, it was you kind of expected it. Like they would introduce a character, and that character may die, but it all happened within that book, so it wasn't. You didn't really lose anything. It was just a feel good enjoyment. Hmm, I wonder who's going to bite it on this episode of Father Brown. Maybe the guest star who we introduced in the first five minutes. That's right. Or the Star Trek. Oh, it's a new red shirt. I've right. never seen them before. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to survive. <laughs> oh, this this is a guest actor brought on. You're a bit too expensive for the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, thinking about uh, long series and long books and my brain spinning while we're talking. I do think another good way for people to get into long series is through like adaptations, maybe not dressed in files. Cause apparently that TV show adaptation was absolutely terrible. It was pretty bad. But <laughs> I know thinking about myself, the reason why I sat down and read the full unabridged size of a brick version of Les Miserables by Victor Hugo was because I was really into the musical when I was in high school And so I had the idea of the source text going in, like with your Game of Thrones, with your like Wheel of Times, even with like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell had a TV adaptation where you have an idea of how it is going in, where you have an idea of the plot. So you don't feel like, okay, well, when are we going to get to what's going to happen next? When are we going to get to the good stuff? It's like, you know what the good stuff are. You know in Les Mis that we are going to build up to a barricade. So it's okay if we take like a little bit of a time going there and a little bit of a digression going here or there because you know how it's going to end. You know you don't have to hurry up to get to the plot. It's like, okay, I I know we're focusing on this side character for a chapter, but I need to know where the book's going. I need to know what's going to happen. You already know what's going to happen. So you can be a bit more leisurely in getting to the plot because you saw the Wishbone episode or whatever. And there is is something very visceral about knowing ahead of time what the characters in the book don't know. Uh, I, I felt that way about, uh, I watched the movie for Aragorn, mm-hmm. Christopher Paolini, I think, wrote, wrote that series. 
And that is a huge series. It's only like four books long, but they're very, very large books. But I, I watched that movie, and I thought, this is, a, this is a great story, but the movie left me feeling like it seems like there's a lot more to this story, and so I went and read the first book. But it, that, that sense of, oh, I know that character. I know what's about to happen to this guy. It, it's, it, it's something really enjoyable about knowing that when you're reading it, not knowing the whole story, but just that little tidbit of, I know that this guy turns out to be a bad guy. Of course, with the Aragorn series, the book is completely, or the movie completely diverged from the book, and it was completely wrong. But, <laughs> but it, As it, it was sort enough. of like mid 2000s fantasy adaptations often were. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but it was enough to get me interested in reading the book. And then once I was, I, I got invested in it fairly quickly. That is a very good book series. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. And I will still go back. I won't listen to the whole series, uh, but I will go back and listen to the fourth book in the series just because it is it is action from the from page one. It starts off in the middle of a, an action sequence and it does not stop. Right. Yeah, my favorite thing about the book Dracula is that the first two chapters of Dracula are someone who is not in Dracula being like, all the peasants are looking at me really weird when I talk about going to visit Count Dracula. Why is everyone giving me garlic? Oh, what quaint superstitions. And you're just like, buddy, you don't know you're a Dracula. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that is, but it's really enjoyable. It's the same sensation you get when you're reading a book series and a character from another book series that, that you've read right. pops up and you're like, I know that guy's story. Right. I know more about him than that character does. Right. And there's something really enjoyable it's about It's like, that. oh, all, all of you haven't seen, read the previous book, but I know that you should not trust that dad. <laughs> That's right. Another, I wrote down a couple more titles for long books that I have read and enjoyed. And one of them that I finished this year was uh, Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel, which is a fictionalized account of the life of a British politician, a guy named Thomas Cromwell, who rose up the ranks during the time of Henry VIII. And so that's another thing where you know how it's the series is going to end because this guy has a Wikipedia page. You know he is going to die <laughs> at some point. But because it is a big, long, leisurely series, it can take its time getting there. And you can have like moments of, okay, so there's a term in like anime and television where you talk about like filler, where you have basically an episode where like nothing happens, where the main plot doesn't advance. But like with some of that filler, it can be like people just talking and hanging out and having a good time or like everybody goes to see a movie together and you see how two characters interact or one character's does something that like will help shift their personality or things like that where you don't have the plot advancing but you do have nice little character beats where you learn more about the people and about their world and wolf hall feels like 50 percent filler i can see how people would get really aggravated by it because it's like why do we need to know the day-to-day -day life of Thomas Cromwell? Why do we need to know what this man feels about this certain thing? And it might be like a big historical British event that everyone in Britain knows of, and I don't because I'm from Mississippi. But 
I like those moments like that, where you do get like the moments of, yeah, we're spending a chapter at a Christmas play for some stupid reason, but the some stupid reason is because you can see more about what Thomas Cromwell feels about the Christmas play and how he feels about the world around him. And I would 100% see why that sort of spinning the wheels would be very irritating to people who are like, I want this to be 300 pages. I want my movie to be two hours tops. We are watching 12 episode television series. <laughs> but I can see, I can enjoy the spinning of the wheels a little bit every now and then. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And immediately when you said that, I, I, my first thought was the Wheel of Time series. Because there are several whole books in that series that could be summed up in one chapter. <laughs> this guy went here, he did this thing right. and move on. <laughs> but yeah, he, he, he takes some time with his details, which in some aspects it is very enjoyable. Like you said, every now and then it, it's, it's enjoyable to ramble through the weeds. But for me, for that particular book series for the wheel of time, there were too many questions floating around. There was right. too much going on in the background to spend time wondering about how this rock got on this pathway. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that particular series, I, I did not enjoy it. But there are many other series that I would completely agree with that it, it is enjoyable to just sit back, take a break from the action, and just kind of enjoy viewing their life mm -hmm. and how how they fix coffee in the morning. Right. And I guess that could be like sort of genre differences as well with historical fiction, with this, with, with Wolf Hall, the fictionalized biography of a real man with a real man Wikipedia page that we already know how things are going to end up at the end. You already know how things are going to end up at the end. So you don't have the 12 billion fantasy questions percolating <laughs> in the background. You don't have like a Game of Thrones scenario where you have 50 plot lines going on and it's like, okay, George, I know why you're doing this one little short story, but, or this one little diversion, but we've got 50 plot lines and we need to wrap it up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Something needs to happen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you, that's a good point too, is because I am very focused in my reading genres. I really don't deviate from the uh, sci-fi and fantasy genre. Uh, very, very rarely will I step out. And even when I do, it, it's to a um, kind of sci-fi. Like, to me, Dracula and those classics, the horror classics, they still fall in, into that sci-fi fantasy genre because it deals with something that is non-reality. Right. Um, for me, it feels like I'm stepping out, but it's really not. <laughs> it's still the same thing. Yeah, whereas I, I read a lot of, like, nonfiction and a lot of, I've, like, I have my, my manga series, which are my, like, turn off my brain, let's just go read something fun, because I've read about, like, bummers for the past month. <laughs> but I do end up, I read, like, a lot of nonfiction. If I read something fictional, it'll be, like, historical fiction or tinged with that historical fiction where you've got like magic and wizards but it's in regency england and so with that you do end up you do kind of vaguely know how things are going to end even if you vaguely know okay this is set around this certain time 
at some point, I suspect the book will do X, Y, Z. Because if you're setting your book two days before Bastille Day, you're going to end up in Bastille Day. Or if you are writing this nonfiction book about a certain event, there is going to probably be a logical stopping point for like this certain event. A big old nonfiction book that I read earlier this year, which was like 700 pages. I had to flip to the front a lot of times because I would forget all who all these Russian men were. Uh, it's Midnight in Chernobyl by Adam Higginbotham, which is very good, very detailed, very well-researched book about like the Chernobyl nuclear reactor accident. And the way that history shaped itself, you could tell that there was a starting point. Uh-oh, this accident is happening. Everything is going to hell in a handbasket. And then it worked its way to a natural ending point, which was the end of all these tribunals and all these councils about, hey, what happened here? Who do we blame for this? How do we make sure that doesn't happen again? So I think that we've we've been talking for about half an hour and some change. So is there, say that I am someone who, all I read are 200 page books, all I read are short stories. What would you recommend I start, I read to dip my toes into the wide world of books that are super huge. If you are, again, with my focus being in the sci-fi and fantasy yeah. genre, I, I would suggest something like The uh, the Stand is a, is a great book mm-hmm. because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're reading a long book. It feels like you're reading a uh, a story, but there's so much information being given out, and it's given in such a way that you're wanting to know more. Like it's not, oh great, now I get to learn how he puts on his shoes in the morning. <laughs> you you're invested and want. I wonder how he puts on his shoes, and oh here it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's intriguing, and it doesn't feel like you're reading that big of a book. So that when you get done with it, you can look at it and say, I read this whole book. Right. Now I can, now reading something like The Historian is child's play. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Stephen King just has a really accessible writing style. Like, it is. A lot of the books that I was talking about, I will admit, their writing styles are not for everyone. Sometimes you pick up Les and you're like, what are you on, Victor Hugo? You are writing like a man from the 1800s. But Stephen King, there's a plenty of reasons why he got super popular everyone reads his books and i do think that his really accessible really easy to read writing style can help you breeze through something as big and chunky as the stand and that you know i I had never thought about that before but that is probably one of the main reasons that i was able to get through that book was because he does it's very accessible that's a great word It, it it's easy to read and you don't feel like it's a chore to slog through all of the information that he's given out. It, it is, you're interested, you're wanting to know more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is very simple and you don't have to think about what is now, I have to go to the dictionary and look up that right. word. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. It's very easy to read. But that that would, I think, be a great starting point for getting into not only long books, but also long series of right. books because you really could break the stand up into it has several little what I would call stopping points. Like uh-huh. you could stop it here and that could be a standalone book. It had a plot, it had a resolution um, and you could do that several times. So it, that would be a good introduction, I think. 
Yeah, and I will say that it's for what I would recommend for a good introduction. Like I know that the written text itself is for some books are not very accessible, but with classic literature, like your Draculas, like your Moby Dicks, like your Charles Dickenses, a lot of it was serialized. So it was basically like a new chapter of the book came out like every week or every two weeks. So you have a book that is designed to be read in small increments. So if you want to do this, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time approach of reading, dipping your toes into very long books, congratulations. A Tale of Two Cities is very big. It's very imposing, but it was written in a way where you read a chapter and then you put it down for a week. And then you read another chapter and then you put it down for a week. And if it's Charles Dickens, usually there will be a couple of sentences at the start of the chapter to remind you what happened at the last chapter. And also if it's Charles Dickens, just watch the Wishbone episode that the story is based off of or the television adaptation so you'll know where the plot's going. So it's okay if you spend a little bit of time in the weeds. You know what's going to happen in the end. Well, it's really lovely talking super long books with you, Russell. We yes, could talk about this for 10 million more hours. <laughs> yep. But I hope that anyone listening, I hope that you, this has inspired you to start diving into the wide world of books that are literally the size of bricks or literally the size of two bricks. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.